I think you you nailed it with your selection of songs, and uh, it was great to be able to worship the Lord this way. Um, all of all that I have to say, none of it will make any sense to anyone who is not already committed to the Lord Jesus. Um, but it is an awesome privilege that our God has given to us to be able to be involved in His work here on this earth. He doesn't really need us. He can do what He wants to do without us. And yet, He chooses to involve us. He chooses to invite us to be part of it. And I, I always have trouble getting my head around that. That He would want my service. However bad it is. So, before we get started, let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank You for the awesome privilege that You've given us. The privilege of knowing You. And because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, because of what Your beloved Son has accomplished, we can call You Father. We can come to You in our brokenness, in our need, in our helplessness, in our sin and our pride. And in spite of it all, know that You welcome us. Know that Your grace is more than sufficient to cover all our sin. And we thank You, Father. Now, Lord, we just ask that You would that You would anoint Your servant. That You would speak through me, Lord. Speak through me in spite of me. That the, that the only word that is heard here will be Your word. And that together we'll be able to better serve You because of it. Thank You, Father, for Your incredible grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So the topic is the offering of our time. Time is an elusive thing. We talk about time in so many ways. We say, well, time's on our side. Time heals all wounds. Or, as my sister put it one time, time wounds all heals. Time is of the essence. Try to figure that one out. I mean, that's an idiom that just does not make English sense. And yet it's used all the time. We run out of time. We waste time. We speak of overtime. Or for those who are engaged on an hourly basis, maybe of time and a half. We have a quiet time. We make time. Sometimes we make up for lost time. 
And we speak of time locks and time bombs and so on. But what is time? The 4th century Bishop of Hippo, North Africa, theologian, wrote a book. And actually, just a, a side note, this book that he wrote called his Confessions is the very first, uh, first that we know of in any case, autobiography. Um, and it's an interesting book partly because it is the whole book is written as a prayer. It's addressed to God from beginning to end. It's worth reading. And it is available in um, relatively contemporary English translations, so you don't have to worry about it, although it is a, a long book. Anyway, at some point, one point, about halfway through the book, he says, What then is time? There can be no quick and easy answer, for it is no simple matter even to understand what it is, let alone find words to explain it. Yet in our conversation, no word is more familiarly used or more easily recognized than time. We certainly understand what is meant by the word, both when we use it ourselves and when we hear it used by others. What then is time? I know well enough what it is, provided that nobody asks me. But if I am asked what it is and try to explain, I am baffled. All the same, I can confidently say that I know that if nothing passed, there would be no past time. If nothing were going to happen, there would be no future time. And if nothing were there would be no present time. So, since Augustine had so much trouble in uh, describing, uh, defining time, and he was a heck of a lot wiser than I, I'll not make the attempt. But it's interesting to note that in both Hebrew and Greek, both in the Old Testament and the New, there were two Principal words used of time. In the Greek, uh, the, the one word is chronos. We're familiar with chronos. It shows up in our word chronology or chronological. It simply refers to the regular passage of days and weeks and seasons and years. It's the sort of time that's measured by an hourglass or your wristwatch or your smartphone. This, of this sort of time, we are each granted a certain amount. Time is interesting because we cannot bank time for use later. If I give away or invest or waste a few dollars, I can earn their replacement. If I waste some other resource, it can usually be replaced. But time cannot be replaced. Each of us had 168 hours last week. You didn't have any more or less than the person next to you. 
I also had 168 hours. We can't bargain for more. We can't get back any that we wasted. So the hour we spend here this morning is precious and can never be repeated or reclaimed. So as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5 and verse 1, he said, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time. And there's another word. Another word for time. The, word, the Greek word is kairos. Not so common in English. I don't know of any English word that has that as its root. But it refers not simply to the passage of time and seasons, but to the content of that time. Kairos is used of and sometimes translated as an opportune time, the right time, a window of time in which one must act or after the fact only wish that we had. Jesus used the word kairos when he said, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. And later when he instructed the disciples, and he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. In uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, remember that movie and the, the book? I don't know how many times I read it. In Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the author has written this exchange between Frodo and Gandalf. Frodo said, 
I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. My time. Such times. The time that is given us. I'll speak of Kairos. The time, the circumstance in which we must act. The occasion for a suitable response. When he was writing to the churches in the Galatian region, Paul said, and here's the summary of the Gospel. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And the fullness of time had come. That's Kairos. At that point, God acted to redeem us. And now that we have received this treasure, now that we have been redeemed, now what do we do? As we were singing this morning, it underlined a paragraph that I had written yesterday. Have you ever noticed that everything we do involves time? It takes time to dress, time to eat, time to work, time to talk, time to listen to a message, all the while you're hoping that the speaker will not go into overtime. Last week, we looked at our spiritual gifts. But they cannot be used without taking time. We live in time, and our bodies will die in time. But then, by the grace that has been given us in Christ Jesus, when these bodies of ours have died, we will then need to learn to live in eternity in a way that is not bounded by either space or time. And that's, I don't know, I have a really hard time figuring out, okay, if I understand sort of what time is, then what on earth is eternity? It's not merely an endless expanse of time, that much I know. Paul noted in his letter to Colossae, he said, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The key here is that our time, like our talents, like our abilities, our material resources, our spiritual gifts, everything, our time is not our own. We are merely stewards of God's grace. And as believers, we offer all that we have, all that we are, as a response of thanksgiving to the One who has redeemed us. So specifically, we offer our time to God so that God might fulfill His purposes 
in us and through us. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. I found that since my supposed retirement, I have found myself more and more busy, and I've remarked a few times, I don't know how I found time to go to work. To the point where I'm beginning to realize, slowly, that I'm going to have to practice saying no more often and more forcefully. The problem that most of us have, I think, is that we don't operate much on kairos time. We fill our calendars with appointments. We schedule so much into our lives that we're hurrying all the time and then miss those important opportunities that God gives us. But Jesus in his life on earth was master both of Kronos and of Kairos. If you turn to Mark chapter 5. Verse, we'll start at verse 21. Mark 5 and verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again to the boat, to the other, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Jesus went in haste to follow Jairus to minister healing to his daughter. Clearly, this was an urgent matter. Today, the police escort would have been clearing the crowds. There would have been lights and sirens all over the place. Almost certainly, Jairus was leading Jesus by the hand, taking him by the quickest way back to his house so that Jesus could save the life of his little girl. This was Kronos. This was urgency and hurry at its peak. When, as the legal documents say, time is of the essence. Then there was a traffic jam and even the police couldn't get through. There was chaos for a moment. And another matter had to be dealt with. Verse 25. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples uh, said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. 
But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Kairos. Another person, in this case a woman, who moreover was ceremoniously unclean because of her continued medical condition. This woman had the nerve to touch Jesus. She touched Him even though she knew that that touch would likely make Jesus unclean as well. But the Master took it in stride and ministered His healing and His peace to her. The urgency of Kronos was set aside and Kairos was answered. But then the bad news came and it seemed that time had been wasted. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was about twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told, told them to give her something to eat. Yet another Kairos moment. By now there was little in the way of urgency except to calm the grief of the father who I'm sure could hardly believe what he had just been told. And the grief of the mother, who undoubtedly had been at the girl's bedside. Some years ago, I heard the phrase, the tyranny of the merely urgent. Jesus could easily have succumbed to that. This was an urgent matter to save this little girl. But because he was always aware of the Holy Spirit within him, he recognized that God's timing is not always, I might suggest not even often, chronos. He is not controlled by a clock. And Kairos required that Jesus stop and minister to the sick and nameless woman, even when it must have seemed to Jairus that the world had stopped. At a Kairos moment, God's perfect timing intrudes 
on our own. The problem many of us face is that we're so focused on doing one thing that we don't hear the voice of the Spirit and we miss the opportunity. I know I do. We need to remember that time is God's gift to us. And what we do with that time is our gift to God. So beginning this week, let's resolve to be more attentive to the Holy Spirit so that we'll be in a position to more effectively use this very limited resource to fulfill God's purposes. Let's keep an eye out for those Kairos moments and pray that we'll be ready for them. It's another thing we're all likely to need to work on. And that's that we not be so concerned about getting what we want when we want it. Whether it's a meal or something, some material trinket or even understanding or direction. That was, I think, a, a source of irritation for Jesus' brothers and also for his disciples. If Jesus is the Christ, if he is indeed the Messiah, then why doesn't he say so openly? Why doesn't he prove it in no uncertain terms so that not only the Jews, but Rome also will know that there is a king in Israel? And this kind of came to a head in in, uh, John 7. John 7 and verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Let the world know that there is a king in Israel. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, Then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Kairos moment for travel, for Jesus' self-revelation to Israel, was not yet. It wasn't far off. Maybe, Maybe a day, maybe half a day, but not yet. God's timing is that precise. A friend once remarked to me that God does not waste a move. Never is he either early or late. He is never in a hurry. At least not by our standards. The problem comes when we try to control events and usually end up in a mess. 
But if we allow God to be God, and if we are alert to His Spirit, think how much more effective we might be. I was listening to a podcast uh, a week or so ago. Rabbi Zacharias um, drew, our, drew my attention to Deuteronomy 1, verse 2, where it says, It's 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. These escaped slaves could have been in the land of promise in well, two or three weeks from that first Passover in Egypt. But it took them 40 years. Why? Well, in Deuteronomy 8, we read, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Our God is incredibly patient with us. A few weeks' journey for in 40 years. His plan and His apparent delays are for our good. Through all the troubles of this life, through all the heartache and the pain, through the joys and the sorrows, He's teaching us and preparing for us for an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. And through it all, as we exercise to develop our patience, we also need to be offering our time to the Lord for His purposes. So each one of us is going to have to make some hard decisions about how we spend our time. We have to look at what we are currently doing in areas such as these and ask some questions. Like, what am I currently doing that works? Where am I being wise with my time? And then the converse. What am I currently doing that doesn't work? Where am I not being wise? Where am I wasting my time? Where am I using my time in ways that don't honor the Lord? What needs to be added? What new needs to be added? Where can I better fulfill God's purposes for me. This is more than time management. This is deliberately and willingly offering our time for God's purposes. He doesn't want a portion of my time. He wants the whole thing. He wants all of my time to be used wisely so that we can become the people He wants us to be. So, we, so that we're living our lives in ways that fulfill His purposes in the world. So that because of us, 
because of the way we're living, because of our offering of our time, ourselves, people come to know the Lord Jesus. They come to know this one that we serve. So that God's love becomes visible in places of brokenness. So that people, especially our brothers and sisters, grow up in the faith and become mature and in turn offer themselves to the Lord. The good news for us is that God's name reflects His desire to spend time with us. When Moses asked God for His name, He said, I am. And He also said, and I will be with you. You remember in uh, Isaiah, it was prophesied and then repeated in uh, Matthew uh, 1, that Jesus' name or his title, would be Emmanuel. And what does that mean? God with us. Not God distant from us. Not God opposed to us. But God with us. And just as Jesus entered into space, and time, we here in space and time are His representatives. Everywhere we go, where we work, where we live, where we play, where we shop, where we worship to accomplish God's good purposes. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You for that grace in which we stand. We thank You for Your patience with us, Lord. So many times we've gone off on our own way, been more concerned about ourselves than about others certainly more concerned about ourselves than about You. So we ask, Father, that in Your grace, You would help us. That by Your Spirit, You would strengthen us. Strengthen our resolve to offer all that we are and all the time that You have given to us. That we offer it exclusively to You. Work in us do through us according to Your good purposes and plans that You may have the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' precious name.